Let's begin with a word of prayer. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this group gathered here together. God, as we are here, as we open your word, may you speak. Um, Will you speak through your Holy Spirit directly to each of us, God, that we know, we know what you're saying to us, God, and that we are prepared to respond. We know how to respond. So, God, we're here. May our hearts be open to you and what you want to speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, welcome, everybody. Uh, Who's looking forward to the holidays? Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, hey, my family isn't just looking ahead to the holidays. We are already celebrating. So last weekend, uh, my family celebrated a holiday called Thanks Christoween. That's Thanks Christoween. If your family doesn't celebrate this holiday, this is a three-in-one holiday mashup of Halloween, Thanksgiving, and Christmas. Uh, It includes such things as collecting candy, eating Thanksgiving dinner, and the giving of gifts. Uh, if you've never celebrated this holiday before, if you want more information, uh, come talk to me after the service. Uh, this is a great holiday event for uh, snowbirds and introverts alike. <laughs> well, speaking of the holidays, um, the first holiday movie that I want to watch every year, Thanksgiving night, is this movie, Miracle on 34th Street. Uh, as you can tell, uh, there's, there's two of them, and this is, this is the remake, which is my preference. Sorry for you purists. Um, but in this movie, Santa Claus is on trial. Um, it's not my favorite courtroom drama, but it's a really great one, especially for the holidays. My favorite courtroom drama uh, is probably this one right here, A Few Good Men. Who's seen this one? Ooh, that's right. Yeah, it is good. Uh, This has an all-star lineup, including Tom Cruise, Jack Nicholson, Kevin Bacon, and others. If you've heard uh, the line, you can't handle the truth, that came from this movie. Uh, Other good ones in that as well. It is my favorite. But maybe you don't like this one to be too intense. It's not for everybody. Some of you may prefer Reese Witherspoon's courtroom drama, Legally Blonde. Okay, yep, some of you like this one. I don't have a lot to say about this one. I've watched it. It's good. It's definitely not my favorite. Uh, But for all of you guys, well, some of you may think these are all too serious. Um, So maybe your preference is Disney's animated Alice in Wonderland, um, where Alice somehow gets into Wonderland and she finds herself on trial before the Queen of Hearts. Not exactly a courtroom drama, but it kind of works. Well, there's not just great uh, courtroom drama movies. There's also some really great courtroom drama TV series as well. And the one one that stands out in my mind is Law and Order. This is about as much as I know about Law and Order. Um, is this, this, this picture right here, because it used to premiere on Thursday nights uh, after Survivor when I was growing up. And um, when you saw this on the screen and you heard the dun dun, that was the cue to scramble for the remote and turn the channel because you might witness in the opening scene a horrifying homicide that would keep you up all night if you're a young child. Um, so that's about all I know about that. But the one that I know really well is uh, this courtroom drama TV series. Yeah. All right, here we go. We got some fans. Very good. This is, this is a Matlock. This stars Andy Griffith. So you guys may not know him, Andy Griffith show. He went on to do this courtroom drama series. Uh, it's great. The way, reason I know this, my dad loved this show growing up. And as I think about the soundtrack of my life, the things that just stand out, that plays in the background of my head, the opening credits music, the jazzy music is in my mind. Like, it's been over a decade since I've seen this show, and yet that still plays in my head sometimes. Um, but the sound that rings in my ears when I think about all of these courtroom dramas or courtroom settings in general is this. The pounding of the gavel. 
A trial is underway and a judgment will be made. It's in these courtroom environments that the Apostle Paul finds himself again and again and again as the book of Acts comes to a close. Throughout the second half of the book of Acts, we find the Apostle Paul living as a witness for Jesus throughout the Roman Empire. But today, as we turn to Acts 24, we find him on trial for his faith in front of a very high-profile audience. Well, here's what I want you to see as we explore the book of Acts this morning. Paul isn't the only one on trial. You and I are as well. And with that, let's turn to Acts chapter 24, verses 1 through 9. Let's start there. Five days later, the high priest Ananias went down to Caesarea with some of the elders and a lawyer named Tertullus, and they brought their charges against Paul before the governor. When Paul was called in, Tertullus presented his case before Felix. We have enjoyed a long period of peace under you, and your foresight has brought about reforms in this nation. Everywhere and in every way, most excellent Felix. We acknowledge this with profound gratitude. But in order not to weary you further, I would request that you be kind enough to hear us briefly. We have found this man to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He is a ringleader of the Nazarene sect and even tried to desecrate the temple. So we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to learn the truth about all these charges we are bringing against him. The other Jews joined in the accusation, asserting that these things were true. So here's our environment. Paul is on trial with serious accusations against him. And making the case against Paul is Tertullus. And Tertullus is the well-dressed, well-spoken, win-every-case-he-gets lawyer. Tertullus was likely one of the top lawyers available, which just demonstrates that the Jewish leaders were serious about obtaining a conviction against Paul. The case, which is surely just summarized here, began with gushing flattery, uh, which seems to have taken up about as much as the, the, the trial as the case itself did. Traditionally, lawyers complimented the judge to capture his goodwill, but this wasn't that. Tertullus was lying. Uh, there had not been peace under Felix, but violence, personal greed, selfish political maneuvering. But that didn't stop Tertullus. He was on a mission to elicit a sentence of execution against Paul. And he then proceeded to present his charges in a specifically crafted way to achieve that end. The first charge that Paul was a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. Keeping peace was a major part of Felix's job description and job security. Tertullus wanted to put Paul in the same group as the terrorists of his day, militant messiahs and revolutionaries. The second charge, that he was the ringleader of an unrecognized religious sect. If Felix would not prosecute Paul on the basis of his disruption of the peace, maybe he would if Paul were seen as the head of a religious, a religious sect or cult that was not sanctioned by the government. The third charge, that he had tried to desecrate the temple. Now, this was the only really specific charge uh, against Paul. And this is a uniquely dangerous accusation because the Romans gave the Jews lawful jurisdiction in offenses against the temple. If Paul was found guilty, he would be handed over to the Jews and he would certainly face the death penalty. Tertullus concludes his prosecution with a direct appeal to Felix to examine Paul himself. And the other Jews join in asserting that these things were true but all of them offering not a single shred of evidence because there is none. This is Paul's case and uh, the trial against him that he has to respond to. 
As followers of Jesus, we may not have accusers like Paul did, but people are watching us and listening to us. Our faith is on trial. I'm guessing most of us haven't been on trial before. I haven't. Uh, And yet every day, people who don't know Jesus make judgments about Jesus, Christianity, what it means to follow him if they want to follow him by the way that we represent him. And some people that we know or encounter may already have a case against Jesus or Christianity or Christians. Some people, maybe their case is Christians are unloving. They're hateful. Christians are judgmental. Christians are hypocritical. They talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. Christians care more about being right than doing what's right. How many of us have heard stories of people who have been hurt, burned toward faith in Jesus by so-called Christians who in a moment or over a lifetime lived nothing like Jesus? We are Jesus' witnesses. And we will either represent him well or misrepresent him by the way that we live. So here's the question we have to ask. How well will we witness when our faith is on trial? Back to Paul. How would you respond if you were in Paul's shoes? Let's see how Paul responds. Verse 10. When the governor motioned for him to speak, Paul replied, I know that for a number of years you have been a judge over this nation, so I gladly make my defense. You can easily verify that no more than 12 days ago, I went up to Jerusalem to worship. My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone at the the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogues or anywhere else in the city. And they cannot prove to you the charges they are now making against me. However, I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way, which they call a sect. I believe everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets. And I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. Well, unlike Tertullus, Paul didn't rely on flattery in his address to Felix. He was happy to answer for himself because he knew that the evidence of the case was in his favor. So he proceeded to refute the charges against him one by one. First, that he was absolutely not a troublemaker. In his few, the few days at his disposal in Jerusalem, he didn't have time to lead an insurrection. He was there as a worshiper, not as an agitator. Second, Paul affirmed that he was a follower of the way, which was the earliest name for the early Christian church. And this, this was not a sect separate from Judaism. He worshiped the God of their ancestors, uh, their forefathers, and believed the scriptures. But most importantly, Paul pointed out this belief and hope that he held in common with his accusers. Verse 15, I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So in his defense, Paul clearly communicated, Felix, I believe that there is more than this life. I believe that something comes after this. And this led Paul to then state, Verse 16, so I always strive to keep my conscience clear before God and man. Paul's belief in the resurrection resurrection impacted the way that he lived. And Paul not only bore witness to the fact that he was ready to meet God, but also by implication that all people must get ready for such a meeting of their own. 
Paul's belief that there will be a resurrection was directly connected to his belief in the resurrection of Jesus. And he uses the hope of the resurrection as his main defense. We're going to skip ahead to verse 21. Unless it was this one thing I shouted as I stood in their presence, it is concerning the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you today. So Paul concludes his only possible offense is that he made a controversial remark by claiming to believe in the resurrection of the dead. Paul made the issue of the trial about resurrection. Felix and the Romans didn't care about some conflict over theology. But the resurrection is exactly why Paul was on trial there. So he could be a witness for Jesus that he is alive. Summed up, Paul says that he has committed no crime against Rome and no crime against Jerusalem. In other words, Paul is blameless in the accusations against him. No one can point a finger at Paul regarding his personal life, which is a powerful state for an ambassador of Christ to be in. If we are going to witness well when our faith is on trial, we must be blameless before the world. Now, blameless doesn't mean that we have to be perfect or even sinless. No one is perfect but Jesus, and he died to pay for our sins, for our imperfection. But blameless does mean that we live in a way that those around us don't have anything legitimate to hold against us. We don't say one thing and do another. We don't preach love and then practice hate. We don't call others out with first being willing to own our own faults. No hypocrisy, just authenticity. Like Paul, our only offense should be the declaring of the message of the gospel in love. So Paul was blameless. There's no evidence against him, which should mean case closed, right? Let's read on to find out. Verse 22. Then Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, adjourned the proceedings. When Lysias, the commander, comes, he said, I will decide your case. He ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to take care of his needs. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid. Look again at verse 22. Felix was well acquainted with the way, and he adjourned the proceedings. Felix was familiar with the way. At this point, Felix had been governor over the region for six years, and he would have known about the Christians. The Christian mo movement, which had involved thousands of people from the first day on, would have been a topic of conversation among the Roman leadership. He may have learned even more about Christianity through his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. All this to say, Felix had to know that these aren't violent people. These aren't people endangering the Roman Empire. Felix clearly had enough evidence to rule in Paul's favor, yet, for various reasons, he did not want to complete Paul's trial and identify himself with Paul's gospel and the Christians. So Felix avoided a decision, and Paul was kept in custody. But apparently, Paul had caught Felix's attention. Verse 24. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who is Jewish. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. Felix wanted a personal audience with Paul. And not just him, 
he came with his wife, Drusilla. Now, Drusilla was Felix's third wife. Not like he had one and she died and the second one died or something like that. He had two wives at home, and then he added Drusilla to his harem. Um, And apparently, Drusilla was very beautiful. She was about 19 years old at this time, but she was very beautiful. So Felix broke up the marriage she was in in order to have her for himself. Drusilla was also a member of the Herod family, and we know that family. This is the same family who had the apostle James killed. That was her father who did that. This is the same Herod family who had ordered um, that John the Baptist be beheaded. That was her grandfather. This is the same Herod family who had ordered the killing of all the baby boys in Bethlehem in hopes of killing Jesus, the newborn king of the Jews. That was her great-grandfather. And maybe this tells us something of the posture towards Jesus that she inherited. Yet she and Felix wanted to hear from Paul, this ex-Pharisee, what did he have to say about Jesus, the Jews supposed promised Messiah and more. Paul preached to them about faith in Christ Jesus, and he focused on three points. Now, if I were preaching three points to you this morning, I would make an acronym, GSM. But I don't think Paul did that. What did Paul preach on? Verse 25, Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. What an interesting trio of topics, right? Righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. Who came here this morning hoping to hear a sermon on righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come? Show of hands. That's more than first service. Amazing. (laughs) These aren't three points that are usually preached in order to grow a church or to elicit applause, let alone to get on the good side of a Roman governor who has the power to execute you or set you free and his wife, who has a family history of opposing messengers of Jesus. But Paul goes there. This is what Paul speaks about. Righteousness. God has a law, an absolute standard. And when we disobey him, we are in the wrong with God. The standard is absolute perfection. That's what he demands in order for us to be right with him. You're not going to be able to accomplish this on your own, but only through faith in Christ Jesus. He makes us right with God. Self-control. This is the ability to hold back, to restrain ourselves. Um, This is a fruit of the Spirit. Among other things, Paul says it's self-control. And we have a problem with this. We aren't self-controlled, and this leads to sin, which puts us in the wrong with God. And I wonder if Paul, in his sermon, as he's going through this point with Felix, he looks at his life and says, Felix, your reputation precedes you. You've stomped out insurrections with barbaric brutality. You're a violent, angry man. You're not self-controlled in your lust. You're unbridled. You can't be satisfied with a single wife. You have to have multiple women. So you have a third wife here now. You have a lot of stuff, Felix. You have a lot. But you don't have self-control, do you? That's a problem. Thirdly, the judgment to come. A day that God has set where all will stand before him and have to give an account. And the million-dollar question on that day is, do you know my son? Do you know Jesus? Did you trust him to make you right with God? Because on that day, if we stand before God and try to give an account and point to what we did, our own righteousness, and say, I 
If Felix stands up there and says, I, I tried to rule the people under me well. I tried to be a just ruler to them, or I tried to do these things. It's not going to go well for him. It's about Jesus. Only he can make us right with God. This would have been an uncomfortable talk uh, for Felix and Drusilla to receive. Not one that they would have enjoyed hearing. Many people will be glad to discuss the gospel as long as it doesn't touch their lives too personally. But Paul preached boldly and personally about faith in Jesus to Felix and Drusilla. But not just to them. Everywhere he went, he preached this way to everyone. We read as he wrote in the book of Romans, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Just like Paul was unashamed as he preached to Felix and Drusilla, when our faith is on trial, we must be shameless about Christ. We must be bold as we share about faith in Christ. We must get personal about the implications of faith in Christ. Even Jesus did this when people came to him and said they wanted to follow him. He pinpointed the area in their lives that they wanted to hold back from his influence. And he pointed it out and said, you have to surrender that too, to follow me. Jesus did this. Paul did this. How can we not do this? And if just thinking about being shameless about Christ makes you nervous or uncomfortable, guys, I get it. It'd be easier if the Holy Spirit just did this work himself, right? Jesus said uh, to his disciples, John 16, when, the, he, when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. And that can look like there's the scapegoat. The Holy Spirit does it. And I used to think that. I used to read this and think the Holy Spirit acted on his own, uh, doing these things apart from us in the church. And I maintain, I, I fully believe that God can and does work in the world in ways that the church can't. But his primary vehicle for convicting the world of sin and of righteousness and of the judgments to come is the church. It's you and I the ones that he sent his spirit into. So be shameless about Christ at work, at home, at school, with coworkers, with friends, with family, with neighbors, with your one. We've been talking, we've been praying in everyday prayer if you're not aware of that. And who's the one person you feel like God is sending you to? Can you be shameless about Christ toward them? We're responsible to be his witnesses. But we aren't accountable for how people respond to our witnessing about Jesus. How did Felix respond to Paul's personal, bold, shameless preaching about faith in Christ? Verse 25, we see it. Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. Felix was afraid. Those who have placed their faith in Christ Jesus need not be afraid. There is no condemnation for those who in, are in Christ Jesus. But there's a weightiness to the judgments to come, isn't there? So it should strike us with solemnness and should prompt us to get serious about living blamelessly and shamelessly pointing people to Jesus. 
But tragically, it seems that placing his faith in Jesus was not Felix's response. Felix was the judge. He was the man who presided over trials and ruled on trials. But he was faced with his own trial and his own judgment. And he was afraid. The gospel should make those who are intent on rejecting Jesus afraid. What then does Felix say? Verse 25. Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. Felix rejected Jesus under the pretense of delaying his decision. I'm too involved. I'm too busy. I've got too much going on right now to worry about God. If you keep reading uh, in this chapter and Acts, you'll discover Luke records that over the next two years, Felix invited Paul back again and again. So he was just to, to talk. So he was regularly exposed to the truth, preached personally to him. But there's no record of Felix ever coming to faith in Jesus. It seems, Luke tells us this, that it, didn't, it wasn't really uh, faith in Jesus that Felix wanted to hear about. He was looking for a bribe. Um, hoping that Paul would offer him money to be released. And this concludes Acts 24. Paul was on trial, and he was blameless. Paul put Felix on trial with his shameless preaching about faith in Jesus. Fellow Christians, whether we like it or not, our faith is on trial before a watching world, so we must live blameless and be shameless about Christ. And after this life... Every one of us, no matter what we decide about Jesus, whether we place our faith in him or not, we will stand before God and face judgment. It will be the trial of our lives. I can't help but wonder that if there are people in here this morning who may be described somewhat like Felix is described in this chapter, we learn that Felix was well acquainted with the way. He was familiar with Christianity. And maybe the same is true for some of you. You know about Christianity. You know about Jesus. You have Christian family or Christian friends. Felix listened to Paul's sermons for two years. Maybe you grew up in church or you've been coming to church for a while now. Maybe you have a favorite pastor or preacher um, or you've been around you've been convicted before by something that you've heard in a sermon. You know a lot about Jesus and how following him should impact your life. But have you placed your faith in Jesus to make you right with God? Have you turned away from your sin, life your way, and turned to Jesus and life his way? Here's the thing. Knowing about Jesus isn't enough. Knowing about Jesus isn't enough. Knowing about something is not the same thing as embracing it. It's possible to know about Christ, but not ever commit to him. It's possible to know what the Bible teaches without ever actually doing what it commands. Felix knew about Jesus. If you know about Jesus, that's a great starting point. But what really counts is believing in Jesus, trusting him as your savior and surrendering your life to him as your king. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus, if you hear this message and you know that this is for you, may today be the day. May today be the day. Come to Jesus in faith and repentance today. 
Like Felix, you may think, it's not a convenient time. I've got things going on. I can always commit later. I can take that step later. But to delay your decision today is to reject Jesus today. You may say, I'll commit to Jesus later. But how do you know that you will ever feel again, maybe as you feel right now? This morning, a voice may say in your heart, prepare to meet your God. But tomorrow, that voice may be hushed. The thrills of entertainment, and we have a lot of entertainment, these things that make us feel good, that distract us, that comfort us, these thrills, these things have a way of putting out that voice that warns us today. Perhaps we'll never hear it again. All people apart from Jesus have had a last warning. And perhaps this is your last warning. It's foolish to trust in a more convenient time to repent and believe. The truth is that knowing Christ and walking with him are the most important, most necessary issues of your life. You will always be busy. There will never be a convenient time to commit to Jesus. Those who are too busy to think about eternity now will have all of eternity to ponder their foolish indecision. And if, like Felix, Luke tells us that he was afraid, it says that he wanted to do the Jews a favor, which is why he did some of the things that he did. He was afraid. If, like Felix, you're afraid of what others will think if you commit to following Jesus, please don't refuse to do what you know is right because of your fear. That may be an eternally fatal lack of courage. And this may sound sarcastic, but I mean it sincerely, but what's the worst that can happen to you? What's the worst that anybody can do to you if you commit to following Jesus? Kill you? Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, don't be afraid of those who, can kill, who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. He goes on and says, fear only God who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Paul was prepared to stand before God and face judgment. He placed his faith in Jesus to make him right. Are you ready for the trial of your life? <laughs> Friends, if, if you're in that group, you hear this, you know it's for you. Um, may today be the day. Today, come to Jesus in faith and repentance. And if you want to make that decision, I'll be up here. Paul will be up here later after, this, after the message, after the service, during worship. Please come forward and we can talk to you about that. Baptism is coming up. And this is that outward expression of that thing that's going on inside you. I want to commit to Jesus. So if that's you, please don't walk out of here without talking to us or talking to somebody about doing that. And fellow Christians, today for you, we're talking about living blamelessly and shamelessly pointing people to Christ. If you realize, man, I have, I have struggled there. I am not doing that. I see this area in my life where I am far from blameless. Or I, have, I am never shameless. I am very ashamed about my faith. Or I live ashamed about my faith. Today, confess that and repent of it. Turn from it and turn to this life of living blamelessly and shamelessly pointing people to Jesus. There is so much at stake. Your friends, family, neighbors, coworkers, these people need to hear. And there's so much joy. Such a good life in following Jesus. Confess and live for Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me pray for you guys. Dear Heavenly Father, um, 
May you, through your spirit, be speaking to our hearts as you want to speak. God, may right now, uh, may we be listening to your voice. May we not be trying to hush ourselves or say this isn't real or I don't need to do that. I don't want to do that. God, may we hear what you're saying right now in our hearts and may we choose to respond. May we place our faith in you, continue to place our faith in you that you can make us right with God. In Christ alone, our hope is found. There's no fear in death. Jesus, you are good. You are loving, you are caring, you are compassionate toward us. You have paid it all. You have done it all for us. May we place our faith in you and, and respond to our, with gratitude to what you've done for us by living for you and pointing people to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.